Hey there, welcome to Pickled Parables. This podcast is presented by Parable Ministries as a Bible teaching resource. Thank you for joining us. Pickled Parables is a podcast about taking in and living out the Bible. Here we will study, contemplate, and testify to the Bible's incredible teachings and how it leads us to live better lives. To stay up to date with all things Parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. We hope today's message finds you well. Some years ago, my brother walked his wife down the aisle, not for their wedding, but as a groomsman and bridesmaid for a friend's wedding. This was on a Saturday, and the following Friday, uh, she went out saying, hey, honey, I'm headed out for some milk, eggs, and divorce papers. This, of course, crushed my brother. Uh, they were planning a vacation the following week. I told him to to come over anyway and just hang out with me. And during this time, they texted back and forth. Uh, she she said, I think if we date anybody while we're split up, we should run it by the other person first. And he texted back, okay, whatever is, is fine. And, of course, she already had somebody in mind. And the reason for that is because... She had been cheating on him for quite some time. It's too easy to get divorced these days, and we no longer understand the seriousness of marriage as a covenant relationship. What we'll see in Hosea chapter 2 today is that divorce is a much more serious thing And it's a picture of God's relationship with Israel. So the background here, uh, God has been calling Hosea to predict the destruction of Israel at a time when Israel was at peak material prosperity. Hint, they didn't get their wealth from the Lord. The law had fallen into a state of neglect. Hosea is called the deathbed prophet of Israel because he was the last to prophesy before the northern kingdom fell to Assyria around 722 BC. Rather than separate from surrounding nations, Israel had formed alliances, and this led to them chasing after other gods, and material prosperity led to moral perversity. So what we have here, Yahweh contends his case against his bride, but promises restoration after judgment. What we will learn is this. In shocking contrast to our rebellion, God's grace goes above and beyond, pouring out blessings beyond mere forgiveness of sins. Starting into the text, uh, verse 1 is actually part of chapter 1. It's one of those unfortunate page breaks, paragraph breaks that we see in the English Bible. So, so verse 1 begins with uh, the renaming of, of God's people, where he says, my people, and calls them mercy. So verse 2 really is where chapter 2 begins, and it's the opening statement of God's covenant lawsuit against Israel, something that we have to remember about the prophets. It's too easy to hear the word prophecy and and think in terms of, of, oh, this is going to be something that predicts the future. 
More often than not, however, uh, this this is more of a picture of a, a courtroom anytime you're reading the prophets, and they are using God's revealed law as as the basis for their lawsuit against God's people. So Hosea 2.2 uh, alludes to an actual statement of divorce. And the fact that this prophecy took place prior to the exile, realize this, God is literally sending her away. Uh, 2.2 is interesting because normally parents are responsible to rebuke their children, and yet here it says, contend with your mother. This is, this is a shocking language as prophecy is supposed to be. It's to wake the people up. It's, it's as if the dad is saying, well, I've tried. So kids, how about you go try and talk some sense into your mother? Uh, a study note on the, the biblical theology study Bible says that, that this is a play on the concept of exile. Moving on to verse 3 here, he, he talks about, I will strip her naked. God is the one that gave her the clothes, and this was another way of making a divorce public, removing all the blessings of the covenant relationship. But it goes even further than that. God will have no compassion on the children either. If you look at history, illegitimate children were looked down upon. And that's the case here, that since these these children, these symbolic children of Hosea and, uh, and Israel were illegitimate, the children of, of harlotry or whoredom, they were illegitimate and God was going to have no compassion on them. But he connects it to it being the mother's fault. Husbands were responsible for for provision, and it was Israel's belief that other lovers had provided the good, the goods, uh, and that was proof of Israel's spiritual prostitution. Israel had husbanded other lovers, and that is uh, the Baals. So Yahweh's response, he says, therefore, behold, I will hedge up her way with thorns and build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She will pursue her lovers, but she will not overtake them. And she will seek them, but will not find them. She will say, I will go back to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. So it's the beginning here of God entering his judgment on the case, the beginning of God's decision. And we have to realize that God will often restrain you for your own protection. He will put up walls to keep you from pursuing your favorite sins. Verse 8, a rejection of God's provision and failure to recognize that it was the God, that it was God was the one who gave everything. It is a dishonor to God to not notice his provision. So what will he do? He will take it all back. We are only stewards of the things that God has given us, and it is God's right to take it back if he chooses. God will expose his wayward bride. He equates this ignorance of his provision, equates it to, to harlotry or, or to prostitution. Verse 9 
He says that he's going to put an end to the parties and he's going to remove the goods. Uh, some of these parties, it, it looks almost like uh, things that were commanded in, in uh, Leviticus, in Numbers, in Exodus, in the law. But he's going to put an end to all that. It talks about her vines and fig trees. And in this... It's referring to a prostitute's wages. She had she had prostituted herself out and been paid in, in vines and fig trees. God is removing all the things connected to the prostitute's sin. And that's that's the part of what we're seeing in, in chapter one. God has to show us how bad things are before he can make things good. And this is where grace comes in. And like I said earlier, we're going to learn that in shocking contrast to our rebellion, God's grace goes above and beyond, pouring out blessings beyond the mere forgiveness of sins. Verse 14 says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness, and speak kindly to her. Recently, probably for the last year now, I've been making it a habit of of writing out the scriptures by hand. This is a spiritual discipline that I recommend to anybody. Shocking as it may be, I even got a lot out of writing out the genealogy of Matthew. You notice things when you take the time to write it out verse by verse, slowly, what I noticed in Hosea 2.14 is this view of God's grace. So there are a few times in my life I've had uh, what we could call a paradigm shift in God's grace, something that, that uh, caused me to see it from a new perspective, to magnify it, to love it. A long time ago, it was the realization that the scriptures themselves are a grace of God, where he's not obligated to do anything for us, and yet not only reveals his attributes in the scriptures, but also gives us the scriptures, shows us his son, and tells us how to be made right with him. That's the, the existence of the Bible in our hands is grace. A while later, I was reading a little book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. He wrote about adoption as the pinnacle of God's grace. He would be justified in just forgiving sins and letting us be servants. And yet he goes beyond that and adopts us, calling us his sons and daughters. In a Christian uh, Passover Seder, I learned about a song that they sing called Daye Nu, it means it would have been enough. This song goes on uh, the lyrics saying that if he had called us out of Egypt, but had not given us the law, it would have been enough. If he had given us the law, but not called us his people, it would have been enough, and so on. But he has continually poured out blessing upon blessing, abounding in grace. And this verse, Hosea 2.14, this passage, 
is another paradigm shift in the grace of God. He spends 13 verses exposing what a cheating prostitute his wife Israel had been. And then he says, I will speak gently to her and goes on to describe the ways that he will restore and provide. He says in 15 that he will restore the vineyards. He talks about the Valley of of Achor. Does that sound familiar? I'm sure it doesn't because it's not a name we hear a lot, but the Valley of Achor is where Achan and his family were stoned when Achan broke God's commandment and looted during the victory over Jericho. The word Achor literally means trouble, and God promises to restore that, to transform the valley. If God can transform the valley of trouble, he can transform a relationship. And what does this transformed relationship look like? He says that his new name... Israel will call him my husband, Ishi. And Israel will no longer call on Baal. We have the promise of of covenant renewal. He says, in that day, in that day points forward to, to Christ. In that day, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness and compassion, and I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Then you will know the Lord. So verse 19 talks about a betrothal. How long? Forever. Here we have a preview of the bride of Christ. And God uses this word betroth three times in this passage, highlighting the intensity of his plan to betroth Israel to himself. And the the righteousness and so on are a re-betrothal gift. Uh, it's like they're renewing their vows. And he's giving gifts, righteousness, justice, love and kindness, compassion, faithfulness. This sounds a lot like the new covenant promise in, in Ezekiel, where he's going to remove the heart of stone replace it with a heart of flesh. Uh, and, and the new covenant promise in Jeremiah 31, where he will remember our sins no more. But it goes even more than that, says you will know the Lord. So in the previous verse, verse 19, we had a quantity, that is a time, forever. In this verse, God describes the quality of the betrothal. It will be an intimate relationship. God uses the term yada. You will yada the Lord. Adam and Eve yada each other and Eve bore a son. Do you get how close of a relationship this is going to be between the bride and the Lord? In this preview of the Bride of Christ, pointing forward to our union union with Christ, marriage is the controlling metaphor. The one flesh union of our marriages is to be a picture of the quality of our relationship with God. And there's hope here. After all the judgment and discipline from God, he returns to the faithfulness of his covenant. 
even when we fail, he is faithful to his covenant. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He says, I will respond. I will respond to the heavens and they will respond to the earth in that day. The earth will respond. Thomas Manton says, the earth can do nothing without the clouds unless God unstop the bottles of heaven and let out the rain. The only, the only hope of future prosperity for Israel is returning to God and God in his providence sending rain to the earth so that they can once again have grain, which in, in that time was a sign of, of prosperity. And if you look at the blessings and curses of the covenant in Deuteronomy 28 and 29, it was a sign that you were in good relationship with God at that time and pointing forward to uh, the blessing of our relationship with him. There's this promise of restoration as with all gracious encounters with Yahweh, this restoration results in a new name. You look at... Abram became Abraham, Jacob became Israel, and these people who who were called Israel, and then God renamed them to not my people and no mercy. He says, I will also have compassion on her who had not obtained compassion, and I will say to those who were not my people, you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. We have God in this, in this entire section being called my husband and my God. God promises that he will make the seed of Abraham increase in the land and that he will turn hearts toward him. Applying this to our walk with Christ, God's plan for restoring his sinning people can often include discipline. Sometimes he has to remove things so that we come to our senses and turn to him. So if we're experiencing wilderness moments, uh, let's trust God's faithful love while continually turning to him. Not just turning to him one time to see if that takes it away, but continually turning to him, refreshing our repentance, refreshing our, our desire for, for closeness with him every day. And, and charging through the wilderness to get to the other side, uh, to, the, to the blessing of, of peace and rest with him. And if you have been straying, return to him. Go back to him, my husband, my God. Go back and know the Lord. Second, rejoice in the faithfulness of his love and the abundance of his grace. In this passage where we've seen uh, what I would call a paradigm shift in the grace of God, where he's spent 13 verses chiding Israel for spiritual prostitution, and his answer is, I will speak kindly to her and allure her. Rejoice in the faithfulness of his love and the abundance of his grace. Often... We resonate with the words of the hymn, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. 
prone to leave the God I love. And God responds with, but God, rich in mercy, made us alive even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Thank you for listening to Pickled Parables. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us, subscribe, and share with your friends. If you're interested in more things like this, check out our secondary podcast called My Dusty Bible. To stay up to date with all things Parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries and visit our website at parableministries.com. Parable is a volunteer organization, and we would deeply appreciate your prayers. Thank you for joining us today. We'll catch you later.